What's important is that whatever has powered a business for, for 10, 20, in some industries, up to 100 years, is still their competitive moat. And it's unlikely that that process disappears. The underlying technology may evolve. The underlying software may evolve. But that process will still be fundamental to the business moving forward. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. In this episode, we talk with Axway Chief Innovation and Technology Officer, Vince Padua. Vince is known for his outcome-driven approach to building visionary technology. And over his 20-year career, he's created groundbreaking products for Fortune 500 companies, He's accelerated their adoption and delivered large-scale initiatives to democratize and scale technology outcomes. On the show today, Vince and I are going to talk about his perspective on technology changing over the past two decades, where he sees the future going, and the power of API-driven technologies. Vince, thanks for joining me. Hey, Paul. uh, Great to be here. So you have been central to pretty good-sized transformations at IBM, at Dell, now at Axway. What is common across all the genesis of creating and requiring the transformation in each of those in your experience? A desire to transform. That, that seems a little bit flippant, but at every enterprise I've ever been at, every company where there's a major transformation initiative, whether that's a technology overhaul, re-architecture, or it's a desire to, to change the business model and the way that we seek to monetize the software or how we want to engage with, with customers and partners, it starts with really the desire to transform. And that could be there's an existential crisis that your business is under threat and you need to do something to remain competitive. Or uh, you see a significant market opportunity that could be near-term or even long-term that you need to sort of break free of what you've been doing, that the model that you've been operating under is no longer sufficient, and that you need to do something different if you want to take advantage of said opportunity. So it seems silly, but it, it has to start with a desire and by a desire, I mean, it's certainly from the top down, right? From the leadership level, from the way that they're going to sort of metric and, and drive the company and a clear vision, right? So you've got to want it. You've got to have a clear way of getting there and how you want to measure it. And then that has to work its way down into the organization. So obviously, it's not like on Tuesday, the CEO wakes up and says, I've got a great idea. Let's transform, right? There are cultural events or competitive events or exogenous events or you know any number of things that are pushing and pulling COVID could be a potential example. Are there things that you have seen that are more prevalent than others that make people start that process? It's certainly a, a shift in the markets that they are performing in. And the shift could be around a major trend of technology shifting. So, you know, cloud is one. Before cloud, it was mobile. As we look forward, you know, there are topics around AI, ML, and blockchain. And so all those pieces of technology, you know, signal a pretty significant change in the way that a piece of infrastructure or, or how a business operates at a technical level that needs to change. And that the driving outcome that most businesses are trying to get at is either speed, cost efficiency, or a better customer experience. And on the other side, what we see with businesses that have been around for, you know, let's call it the, the pre-cloud or even the pre-mobile area is that the infrastructure that they have been investing in or the processes that have really powered their business forward can really no longer keep up. Either it's because the business processes are moving quickly enough or the technology that sits underneath the covers are moving and adapting quickly enough. Then there's a series of challenges that they have to face. One is skills, 
right? So do we have the right skills and people and, and talent to really sort of handle uh, the transformation from sort of where we've been on the technology side and the process side to where we need to go? And then with skills, there's the other side of the equation, which is, as you mentioned, is culture, right? So the idea that from idea to uh, production taking, you know, on the order of, of months and in some industries, years, to now wanting to move into weeks or even down into days, certainly there's a tooling scenario that has to happen there. There's a technology and a process, but also the culture and the behavior of moving at that speed, of moving first with a customer focus and ensuring the ongoing fit or value delivery is paramount. And, you know, before a lot of enterprises were okay with things taking on the order of months to years to get these things out. And in many ways, given the business models, it wasn't that big of a factor whether or not somebody was actually using all of your products or not. Today, that's different, right? If, if you're not delivering value that is being consumed on a regular basis, then certainly you're wasting resources and investment, as well as the, the teams who are working on it aren't getting the satisfaction that maybe they want, which is to see people actually using what they've been been building. So. There's a lot to unpack in there. And you talk about team satisfaction, and that makes me think about you know what we're all experiencing globally, the, you know, the great resignation where huge numbers of people you know woke up from the COVID nap and said, wow, there's got to be something better out there. So how, how much is the changing nature of skills that you described either defensively or offensively impacting that transformation? I don't have the people I need, and so I need to change technically or or market selection or I have access to things that I never had before, and so I'm going to take advantage. One thing that I, I see happening with the, let's call it the, the skills gap or, or the great resignation, or, you know, we see certainly see a lot of folks wanting to work on, obviously, all the new cool pieces of technology that are out there. And certainly when you go and you double click into uh, the primary universities, the major universities, you know, you see a tremendous amount of growth in the technical arts uh, and in particular areas around sort of the, the big emerging trends like AI, ML, and, and blockchain and whatnot. But one of the things that we see happening to fill the skills gap is the push towards more and more automation. And so we see that uh, very clearly with what a lot of cloud providers are doing and platform as a service and infrastructure as a service companies doing, looking to move more and more automation into these technology stacks in part beyond just sort of value capture and more consumption, but to help enterprises deal with the skills gap. You know, before, you know, you may have needed a, a team of, of 10 very technical engineers, but maybe the, the language that, that they were working on before or the pace at which they were moving before is now no longer sufficient or at least marginally insufficient. And so you're, you're seeing, you know, if you look at the world of, let's take RPA, right, robotic process automation, which a lot of folks would look at and say that was sort of the the way in which we did screen scraping, right? So if you were to you know log into some bank financial institution aggregator and you wanted to sort of get a consistent view of, of all your your finances and, and net worth, you know before or in an ideal world, all the financial institutions would be creating the, these APIs, these application programming interfaces, which would make it easy to share information across institutions. But because maybe banks or financial institutions didn't have the skills to go on that API journey to open up these legacy systems and make them more accessible in a very shared and consistent way, you now have sort of this air gap that's created where you have vendors now coming into the software space who are trying to automate the fact that there aren't well-defined interfaces for these legacy applications. And thus, 
they're going to automate it by you know using your login credentials, going in and screen scraping your bank accounts or your investment accounts or whatever your wealth management accounts happen to be to give you that uh, holistic and and consistent view. But I would imagine that over time, right, the the idea of sort of the the hard way of doing this of screen scraping and and whatnot and OCR OCRing various you know pages and, and documents will will continue to sort of uh, dissolve to more standardized ways uh, of doing this, which we know in, in many other industries and certainly other uh, financial institutions are also doing this. But there is this air gap that is created as the skills that we have had for the last 20 years either age out or are simply not moving fast enough or are unable to, to learn new skills. Technology via cloud providers, via SaaS providers, uh, and other infrastructure providers will step in and try to solve some of that skills gap through greater automation and ultimately value capture for them. It's Jurassic Park. Nature finds a way. The cloud providers will find a way. So, so the the interesting thing that you talk about there, you talk about you know the the, the skills gap and the and and the aging workforce and and the turning over of the workforce. But what's left over for a CIO, for example, is still a, an awful lot of raised floor, an awful lot of heritage applications that are still critical. You, you know, you use a banking example. You know, the big banks all around the world are not flipping everything over into AWS or or any of the other major, they may be leveraging those kind of technologies. How do they, how does a CIO look at, at their heritage infrastructure and say, okay, how do I use this as a lever and not as a boat anchor in all the things that I want to do in the future? Yeah. So one of the things about, uh, you know, the heritage infrastructure, you know, which maybe it can be thought of as, you know, simply CPUs and, and networking and some storage, but the reality is, you know, they are applications uh, which are supporting you know, some sort of business uh, process, which could be everything from, you know, credit services to healthcare claim status to uh, authorizations to forecasting, a host of things that businesses, you know, have been using and relying for some time. And that usage, you know, in many ways is the competitive moat, right? Because these processes are, are hardened, they're proven, they're reliable. The folks uh, in the enterprise uh, obviously know them, they're trained on them. And they know how to to operate them. Sort of the breaking point now is is you know scale and um, of those processes, delivering those processes to new channels, and delivering those processes maybe in ways or elements of those processes like like I mentioned, sort of claim status as a process, right? So you want to check on um, a healthcare claim, and you want to sort of know the status has it been approved, not approved, etc. There are elements of that that you know if opened up and sort of modernized can be used in uh, everything from, let's say, you know, electronic remittance to, you know, your eligibility and, and benefits inquiries, et cetera. As those things need to be opened up, they can be leveraged uh, for new things. And so there is a, a lot of raised floor, sure, but that raised floor is holding what, in my opinion, is sort of the, the competitive differentiation and the moat that many businesses have created. As they zoom forward or look into the future, there is certainly a tremendous amount of potential opportunity uh, and potential disruption. The disruption coming from either the, let's call it the cloud native folks that are coming in and, and offering similar you know, business services and business processes, but maybe in a more cloud native way, i.e. they don't have the legacy infrastructure and the legacy applications that they had before. So they can move faster uh, and they are going to sort of nibble at the edges, sort of automate maybe smaller, less regulated processes. But the bigger, more heavyweight ones will take longer. And so the established providers with the raised floors that have the, the history and the long-term differentiation, as they now look forward, 
to modernize. And by modernize, I don't mean, you know, throwing it into, you know, pick your cloud provider, uh, but simply the ability to, to make that application certainly more performant, to make it uh, more accessible, and to really extend it as a competitive feature of the company is, is very natural. And we oftentimes see customers uh, have a bit of a, of a divergence, right? Sort of a, a mode one, mode two, which is, you know, yeah, we can continue to evolve the application, but there may be a point at which evolving the application further or the process further as is, the outcome or the return on that investment may not quite be there. And so a secondary path is, is created, which is to sort of think of the process now from the ground up as to, you know, if we were to sort of imagine it now for the next 20 years, if we were to start again, how would we start, begin building down that path? And so it doesn't mean that the raised floor disappears, but I think what's what's important is that this history, this legacy, whatever has powered a business for, for 10, 20, some, in some industries up to 100 years, is still their competitive moat. And it's unlikely that that process disappears. The underlying technology may evolve, the underlying software may evolve, the culture and the skills may evolve, but that process likely uh, will still be fundamental to the business moving forward. No, for sure. The process remains. But if you think about moving from some of the, I mean, you call it legacy, call it heritage, you know, think, things that are a little less flexible, certainly less cloudy, in, in large part, less customer centric. Um, what's the path forward? Is it to try to, as you mentioned at the beginning, API enable the old stuff to to make it more relevant? Is it to try to hold, you know, these differentiated experiences just as they are, as long as you possibly can, while you innovate in other areas that are probably more cloud friendly or, or cloud native to your point. How do you recommend, you know, to a CIO where he goes from here? Poor she. I think, you know, unfortunately it starts with a bit of the, it depends, right? I think there are some industries where the disruption is, is happening, happening rather rapidly. So if we look at, you know, I've mentioned finance uh, a few times, certainly with COVID, you know, we are seeing the acceleration of, of education. Uh, we're certainly seeing uh, an acceleration of topics like, you know, insurance, certainly all the different collaboration tools. Uh, there's a massive acceleration. And the acceleration is not just the acceleration of the technology, but the acceleration of the adoption, which really, you know, the adoption, I think it was Andy Grove who said something like, you know, volume begets standards, uh, not the other way around. Meaning, as much as we would love to have sort of a standard way of doing banking or doing, you know, distributed uh, education or, you know, distributed and remote uh, work, you know, the, the volume or the adoption as it grows really becomes sort of the de facto standard. It's why, you know, you know Zoom is becoming almost a verb, uh, just like Google uh, became a verb. It's uh, something that you do. It's not necessarily a tool, even though it is. And so I think for some industries, the speed at which things are, are changing and the traction uh, in adoption, the faster it moves, the more likely you know, those that sit in that industry are going to have to move uh, much faster. And then there has to be the trade-off between, you know, do we simply modernize what we have or do we look to maybe you know, build uh, either from scratch or look to acquire into a space where folks have maybe already begun to get the volume and the adoption and we want to bring it in maybe as a new you know, growth market or a new growth channel for us to pick up the skills, uh, pick up the knowledge, pick up the technology to begin uh, as that is sort of the beachhead to transform. There are other industries, which you could argue are, are you know, certainly moving uh, maybe a little bit slower or have a longer time to go. So if you look at, let's say, you know, manufacturing in the automobile space. Um, so while there is disruption there, if you look at sort of the full supply chain, 
uh, everything from design to manufacturing to logistics to you know a car sitting in a lot for somebody to to sell and ultimately buy. You know that industry. There are pockets of it that are certainly evolving rather rapidly. Certainly, the customer experience, both in terms of of how you purchase, you know, what you see in the car, all the way up to you know how do you uh, lease or buy or even get insurance. I mean, there are some auto manufacturers now who are offering insurance as part of you um, subscribing, in a sense, to a car. There are elements of of that supply chain from, let's say, the manufacturing side, which is getting more automation, but it's automation inside the manufacturing not so much uh, across different elements of the supply chain, where the speed is, is it is evolving, but it's not maybe as fast or as quick, in part because there are just simply physical aspects to that supply chain, which is a bit less so when you look at other industries like finance or insurance. So it's a bit of a, a depend. And the, the guidance that we often give folks as to you know, how fast do they go, you know, do they start with their existing infrastructure and try to modernize or begin fresh, is to first start with the okay well well how fast is the the change or the transformation or the disruption happening in your industry and one thing that we ask them to look at is okay look at where there are startups or smaller companies who are coming from a different maybe stack or a different mindset and different culture and are they getting the adoption are they getting the volume or not or are they still just trying to experiment and try to figure out where things um, are going to to take off and if they are getting traction, then that's a pretty good sign that you maybe need to be thinking about going faster, which likely would mean maybe starting from scratch or, or looking to accelerate via partnership or acquisition versus where things are maybe moving a bit slower and not as quickly. You know, you can begin doing your own sort of internal evolution of your existing applications uh, versus, you know, maybe starting from from a greenfield approach, which is to start brand new. And so one thing that we we, we certainly all learned over the course of the last 18 months is a lot of the the winning that companies have had in this you know relatively dark time has come from being much more open and much more thoughtful about their entire value chains like how do they deal with their partners and how do they look as, at their customers how do they look at the the, the the totality of their markets so take something like b2b or, or you know the integration edi technologies that have been around for a hundred years how is that evolving? Because it would imagine to me that at some point in time, we're going to all realize that it's better to kind of take the barriers down, be more open, be more flexible, share work across the value chain than what we typically have done today, which is, you know, throw up the walls and I'll do mine and, you know, I'll buy from you what I need. Yeah. So, so let's take a look at, you know, the, the one you mentioned around EDI, right? Electronic data interchange, which has been around now for some amount of decades, right? And you know, for those listening, right? What is is, is EDI? It's it's essentially a, a a standard, and there are multiple multiple standards underneath the EDI umbrella, which uh, the standard depicts to to different businesses, or at least within an ecosystem, how to exchange, let's say, information about an invoice or a shipment, or uh, how to reconcile, let's say, payments. Or I mentioned healthcare earlier, right? Your 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 claim status or authorization of a referral to go elsewhere. And, and EDI, because businesses were having to exchange information, right? So when I go see my, my primary care physician and they need to refer me to an eye doctor or some other specialist, right? There is probably still in many areas uh, today that authorization for me to be referred to go see an eye doctor is likely happening via an EDI document. And EDI was, was, was created so that there was a standard way of exchanging that information, a standard way of saying that this document is a document for 
uh, allowing Vince to go see an eye doctor. That was an attempt really to begin opening things up, right? An attempt to go from, you know, making a phone call to sending a fax to sending an email to automating now uh, the exchange of, of these types of documents, really an effort to facilitate the, the exchange of businesses to do stuff. And when we look at the, the broad sort of market landscape, EDI, uh, when you look at it in the financial industry, in the payments industry, certainly in healthcare, is still in many ways a dominant standard. It's dominant in part because it's been there for some time, like I said, you know, many decades, but also goes to the point I made earlier is that those business processes are seen as a competitive differentiator, right? If you're a, a big retailer like a Walmart or a Target who have massive you know, hubs, uh, essentially, you know, if you want to sell your goods through Walmart or you want to provide different inventory to Walmart or you want to provide, you know, logistics and distribution services via Walmart, almost all that will be done via EDI. It's been there for a long time um, and it is seen, you know, that network that they have, that ecosystem that they have created is seen as a differentiator. But the fundamental aspect of it is that it was it was meant to open businesses up, right? It was meant to facilitate a faster way for them to transact uh, in a more sort of secure and scalable way. When we look forward to today, right, what we find is that, you know, the speed at which that infrastructure and those processes can change is simply not moving fast enough. And so what we've seen is, you know, for the last, you know, I'd say decade or so and, and moving forward is a more normalized and programmatic interface. And I mentioned APIs or application programming interfaces as a means to facilitate now that business-to-business interaction uh, and integration. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, what has been EDI is disappearing. Uh, what we see a lot of businesses doing that have been around for some time, certainly in retail and in finance, is the marriage of those two worlds. The, the marriage of what has been historically EDI uh, to handle a lot of, you know, hardcore, long-running processes that are happening between businesses but in the scenarios where I, I still need to do that integration, but I need it to happen much faster, maybe all the way down to the end user customer experience, it's being facilitated far more by APIs. And so it becomes a bit more of a marriage of those two worlds. But as we then look forward to the next decade, what we certainly see is more evolution towards APIs, uh, not just in what we see today with what we call REST APIs or request and response, but as the demand for enterprises to move you know, faster to move um, with greater fidelity of their customers, to know their customers more, to offer them more uh, personalized and customized experiences, it'll be far more asynchronous in the way in which data is processed between businesses and and end users, as well as it being much more uh, personalized. Right. So I mentioned, you know, REST, which has a pretty sort of standardized way of, of sharing information. You sort of take what you know the backend applications give you, but as we look at things like you know GraphQL and gRPC. Now the, the front end or the business or the consumer that is ultimately consuming has much more control over what they want to know and ultimately what they want to see and to provide the experience that's best for them. And so the $600,000 question then is, is, as you've got to marry the old with the new, as the new continues to evolve and as the pressure outside your business continues to raise uh, both from customers uh, and their their desired experiences, the speed with which you've got to actually get there, the the economies, right? As the as the market continues to overheat, and you got to figure out how to do more with less. What are the what are the things that you look at as the visionary and say, you know, these are going to be really critical over the course of the next five or ten years? So the the one thing that I 
I guess when I look for where is a, a next major transformation, I think a, a lot of what we've been seeing in the last five to, to 10 years is in many ways, the, the modernization of, let's call it the front office. Certainly today, all the collaboration tools that we use, certainly in the way that uh, a lot of folks are now sort of dealing with their, their finances, whether that's you know, uh, checking and savings to investment to how do you do mortgage to, to insurance. I look at those as what, what I would say is sort of the front end, front office uh, processes. The area that is, to me, probably the most uh, interesting in terms of, of transformation and where I would expect to see an acceleration of, of investment and where I would uh, look to see potentially disruption for uh, various incumbents is in sort of the back office processes. You know, all of the different uh, approval processes, uh, authorization processes, how do you handle, you know, internal forecasting, et cetera. All of that stuff in many ways is incredibly bespoke and in many ways uh, specific to to the way an enterprise operates, given its culture, given its skills, uh, and given its history. And when we look into sort of the technology trends that will aid this, this transformation, we certainly hear things about you know microservices and and Kubernetes and and service mesh, but the the point there is essentially it's sort of the normalization of the internal infrastructure to make these back end or back office processes much more flexible, much more agile, and ultimately much more scalable. And what that then does is it allows a business in you know to really focus on on sort of what is their their core unique value proposition. Uh, because there are are many businesses who are are likely doing things, whether let's say you know they have their own customer relation relational uh, database uh, to try to track all their customers, or maybe they have a, a bespoke uh, warehouse management system, et cetera. Now that infrastructure is is standardizing again, given the adoption and the volume around cloud, around let's say containers and and orchestration and ultimately APIs. We've solved a lot of the problems on the front end, but now it's moving towards the back end. And so that's where I see the biggest disruption. And what could that mean? The back office, in many ways, is, is sort of the, the if-then-then-else aspect of the business. And so technology that is, is being talked about a lot today, and certainly a lot of businesses that we interact with and where we see the market doing a lot of experiments is in topics like blockchain with smart contracts. You know, a smart contract is really nothing more than you know, and if then, then else uh, statement um, that is about moving monetary value, whether it's actual, you know, real money or it's some sort of digital value from point A to point B, the exchanging of hands. And it's really a, a back-end process that we would be looking to be automating with that. There's certainly things like, you know, machine learning to facilitate whether or not, uh, you know, we should authorize, you know, somebody or some entity for some amount of credit or for uh, approving them to go see an eye doctor uh, in my particular case. All that back-end automation with the trends that are coming out on the technology side with blockchain, machine learning, and AI certainly facilitate that acceleration. And I think that is going to be a major vector uh, and trend for the next decade, that as those, that technology comes online and as the need to go faster, not just in the front-end or the front-end processes, but now in the back office, it's critical for customers to not just you know be competitive, but to ultimately differentiate themselves. I'm starting to worry about your eyes, Vince. Do you need to go see the eye doctor? You know, it's funny that you say that. <laughs> I did have an eye do- a doctor appointment later today, but it is now in a couple of weeks. So that's why it's oh, top okay. of mind. Well, good. It's, exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a relevant example. So, well, you've been very generous with your time today. I think it's it's a really interesting view of how you get from here to there. 
Um, and it's one of the big, big challenges. It's easy to talk about, you know, disruption or, or transformation, but ultimately that has to turn into a project plan for somebody and they've got to, they've got to find a way forward. So, um, I typically end with uh, a little bit more of a personal question. And so at the end of that day, after you've gone to your eye doctor appointment and you have the chance for a quiet moment, you put some music on, what do you like to listen to? So, you know, I'm a kid of the nineties. I still am and sort of wed to that era. So whether that's the the classic sort of Nirvana's, uh, you know, Pearl Jam. If you zoom forward today, if you were to, maybe I'll, I'll answer the question slightly differently, which is say, Vince, when you get to go see a concert again, you know, live and in face-to-face in Austin, Texas, which some refer to as the, the music capital of the world. Maybe that's just Austin that says that. I don't know. But um, the, the, the one band that I will uh, be looking forward to seeing first is a band called The Joy Formidable. That's great. Vince, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Looking back at the chat with Vince, I've got a handful of key takeaways. First, the key to transformation is simpler than you might think. The desire to transform is the most important thing. It could stem from an existential crisis or a market opportunity, but one theme remains the same. You need to do something different to stay competitive. Second, change never comes without its challenges. Skills, people, culture, each of these elements need to work together to allow the company to move faster ensure ongoing fit, and to continue to deliver value. Third, APIs make it easy to share information across institutions and stimulate automation. Companies that are in walled gardens causes a gap in their users' experiences. Automation is the key to solving this challenge. Fourth, to identify where transformation should occur in your organization, look at the startups in your industry. What are they offering that's different? Are they gaining traction? What can you do to respond? Fifth, in the next 10 years, there'll be a continued modernization of our back offices. How people deal with things like their finances, their mortgages, insurance, things like that. They expect acceleration facilitated from blockchain and machine learning and AI. Things like automating approvals, authorization, forecasting, and contracts is no longer something you might need to do, but it's mandatory. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.